Hello and welcome everybody to the book of Jude. So glad you give us your time. Hey, we are in the second portion of uh, how we got the New Testament. Uh, last week we started in the New Testament and we're going to continue doing so. However, to make it interesting, we're going to start out with a supposed contradiction. So I ask you, how many angels were at the tomb? How many angels were at the tomb? Because according to Matthew 28, 1 to 8, we see one angel. You have to go look this up for yourself. Matthew 28, 1 to 8, we have one angel. But if we read in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 11 to 12, there are two angels. So I ask you again, how many angels were at the tomb? Of course, the scene is the resurrection of Christ. And so um, Matthew records one angel and John records two. So uh, what is the answer? So press pause because I'm about to answer. Press pause. Go read Matthew 28, 1 to 8, John 20, 11 to 12. Press pause. Go read it. So we have one angel and then two angels. So the solution is, it's a, it's a supposed contradiction. This is the solution. Matthew never said there was only one angel. He never said there was only one angel. He just focused on one angel. John gave further information in his gospel. Matthew is simply more interested in the angel seated on the stone. John speaks of two angels inside the tomb. There could have been three angels just because someone focuses on one thing and not another doesn't mean there's a contradiction. So this is one of the many that we find that people bring up. The atheist will bring up on their website and in their writings, oh, this is a contradiction. Well, Matthew is writing from uh, his mind, his words, uh, focusing on the angel on top, seated on top of the stone. And then John, obviously, is writing uh, in his words. John, and he's focusing on the two angels that were inside the tomb. If you follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you will see that I posted some good graphs. So things I talk about that, you know, it's not strongly communicated over just listening to my voice uh, with the graphs, with the num bunch of numbers and everything. And so uh, please go there and, and make sure you, you check it out. Um, picture, to me, I learn better with just seeing pictures. And so uh, these graphs are, are a great resource to have to give you an idea of how many manuscripts we have of the Greek New Testament versus just your regular ancient Greek author. You know, it's it's astounding. So uh, check that out, of course. Um, as we left off, I did an overview of what we're going to be talking about, um, how the books of the Bible were all either testimonies of the apostles themselves, or they got the information, you know, that was coming from an apostle. Uh, but we, we also talked about our uh, early church fathers, or you might have heard me say apostolic fathers. That does not mean I'm talking about the apostles. So another way to say apostolic fathers, so there's no confusion, is when I say early church fathers. Polycarp, Athanasius, Clement of Rome, and the list goes on and on. 
Did you know that Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna, 110 AD, was a disciple of the Apostle John? And uh, Polycarp refers to John's letter as Scripture. Another cool thing to see is Justin Martyr writes uh, about the, quote, memoirs of the apostles. Another quote is he's speaking of those who, the, you know, the scripture drawn up by the apostles and those who follow them. And so uh, that's Justin Martyr, 150 AD. So we can clearly go see, if you go through church history, uh, you can see that the New Testament is looked at and believed as scripture. Now, what you'll also see is some lists are different than others. This is not going to be the same explanation as it was in the Old Testament where they just rearranged them. No, the New Testament, thankfully, uh, took time for people to, uh, or maybe I say the universal church at the time, to accept certain books. Like a book like Revelation uh, didn't get a lot of uh, playtime. You know? <laughs> uh, that's going to be a harder book to sell, right? And so people were making sure that it had the criteria of which we already discussed in the last episode. So you have a uh, list that's called the uh, Muratorian Fragment list of Scripture. This was a local list. This was 175 A.D. This was a local list. It didn't include all the 27 books. Clement of Alexandria, he quoted 22 out of 27 New Testament books. Uh, Origen, 235 A.D., uh, he focused on the four Gospels. I believe um, Irenaeus uh, did the same. And 323 A.D., Eusebius, he, uh, he had 22 accepted books. He disputed five. Back to the book of Revelation, some people were using it and twisting it around. Therefore, you had some that would just use 26 out of the 27 books, excluding Revelation. And so if people were causing problems using Revelation, of course, that's believable. Twisting Revelation around, that's an easy book to do that with. Um, the Synod of Laodicea had 26 books. Athanasius in 326, they had uh, he, he, 27 books he spoke of. Let no one add, let no one take away. A quote from Athanasius. 390, Gregory, 27 books, African Canons, Jerome, 27 books, Augustine, 27 books. So you can see these. there was a lot of local lists, but none of them were uh, universally accepted. Everyone had their local list. Remember, we're dealing in ancient times where uh, letters are being passed around and getting to certain areas, and, and therefore um, it took time. And, it, and that's a good thing. They they made sure. Think about it. We have when they said scripture, they meant the Hebrew canon, the Old Testament. So we're going to call twenty seven books. We're going to add that. We're going to call that scripture as well. God breathed theanustas. I would hope it took it took some time, but um, uh, there was a grouping of of Christian texts, uh, Paul's letters, uh, called. If you want to look it up, P46. So this grouping was Romans, Hebrews, First uh, and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, and actually space was running out, and so 
Um, they might have added more. I don't know, but they ran out of space. It, it, it appeared that way as they were writing. And that is the oldest manuscript of Paul's letters. I think I might have even talked about this. 104 leaves it had originally. 104 leaves uh, in, the, in, the, in P46. And today it still has 86. So this is something in existence today that uh, people can, uh, well, not you and I, but uh, very high-profile people can go and, and look at. Did you know there was a third Corinthians? And uh, the third Corinthians was the author that they found out. And he the author um, obviously made things up. He was speaking as if, as if he was Paul. And he was excommunicated. Now, why am I sharing this? Well, they took it seriously. Again, this wasn't some game. They were calling new things scripture. And therefore, um, if someone comes along and says, you know, tries to pretend it's something that's not, they get excommunicated. Another important fact about the New Testament is certain books were never disputed. So this is a list of New Testament books that were never disputed. You have all four Gospels. Acts, Paul's 10 letters, 1 John, 1 Peter, and then we have books of the Bible that were debated but finally accepted. So you have the book of Hebrews, James, 2 Peter, Jude, 2 and 3 John, Revelation, of course. And then you have books that were never accepted, but they was okay to read. So like we said in the Old Testament when we had the Apocrypha books. They're not evil books, but they were not theanoustas. Um, the New Testament error had this as well. First Clement, Shepherd of Hermes, Letters of Polycarp to Philippi, Letters of Ignatius, Letters of Barnabas. And then we have um, rejected uh, books. So the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, Egyptians, the Gospel of Philip, uh, the Acts of Paul, Gospel of Peter, Gospel according to the Hebrews, and the list goes on from there. The point is, there were lots of writings. We we talked about the criteria, and so therefore, uh, this was not something just put together. This was very well studied and God preserved his word, and the church eventually universally accepted uh, all 27 books of the New Testament. Once again, it didn't happen at some council that you saw in a movie somewhere. Remember in the last episode, I talked about the council myths. This is not that. This is the uh, word of God being uh, read and, and read and spread all over the world the known world, and uh, these other ones that they knew were counterfeit. These weren't just ignorant people walking around. And, and, and again, I say the average classical author doesn't have a single manuscript for a half a millennium. The average classical author, and I'm not talking about the Bible, the average classical author doesn't have a single manuscript for a half a millennium. The New Testament has them within decades. Book of Jude audience, check out Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Book of Tim Jude, T-I-M-J-U-D-E. 
I post frequently. I give information, specific information about the uh, episodes and series that we are going through, things that I cannot fit into the episode time. Um, We can also interact. And as always, prayer requests are welcome. Love to pray for you. So hop on over there. Check us out at Book of Tim Jude. So let's look at the Gospels. Uh, one of the things uh, critical sage such as Bart Ehrman will say that the, the Gospels, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that those titles were the names were not there originally. And I believe that to be true. Uh, the names, the, the titles of these, of these Gospels were added a century later. However, all existing manuscripts contain the titles. And there are no contradictions of the title. So if the titles came later and they're technically anonymous works, the church knew who wrote them. All the manuscripts that went far and wide around the known world, they all contain these titles, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there were no contradictions, meaning They didn't find one that said the gospel according to Philip, and it had the same words as the gospel according to Matthew. There were no issues there. So that is certainly nothing uh, to worry about. Um, That's a great point from critics, but I, at least they think that's a great point. But when you really do the research and you see, yeah, that's true, but um, there was no contradictions. Those that you know, that had the title, it was, they're all correct. What they will add to this uh, critique is that these names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were added to relay authenticity and authority, meaning, hey, we're going to put these names on here so that people will believe it more. Well, that's not really the case because that's not a really good argument. Let's Let's take Mark, for example. Uh, Mark was a defector on Paul and Barnabas, you know, their missionary journey. You know, um, um, this calls them to split up, if you remember the story. Uh, Mark Mark defected. He, he, he ran away, you know, my words. Uh, so using Mark's name doesn't really help. It's kind of like when we talked about the resurrection of Christ. The women were the first ones to share the good news of the resurrection of Christ. And if you were making this up back then, you wouldn't use women, right? So if you are stamping this book of Mark, this gospel to relay um, authenticity and authority, you wouldn't choose Mark. (laughs) He was a defector. He calls Paul and Barnabas to split up. And then, um, so this doesn't help them. If, if you're trying to sell the gospel, this gospel, you wouldn't lose, you wouldn't use Mark. Uh, Luke, why would you put Luke as the title of one of the gospels to show authority and authenticity? His name only shows up a few times. If you could fill in the blank with like anyone, why would you, why would someone choose Luke? There, there's no reason. His name shows up like a few times. So instead of Luke, you might say, well, let's use Gospel of Peter. That would have been a good idea. Of course, if you 
remember the rejected list. We have the Gospel of Thomas, Philip, uh, the Gospel of Peter. So someone did try to do that, and it got rejected because they they knew it was it was a fake. So saying Mark or saying Luke to to relay authenticity and authority, uh, no, doesn't work. And and that's the great example of the Gnostic Gospels. We have the Gospel of Thomas, Judas, Philip, Mary Magdalene. Um, these Gnostic Gospels show up one to two hundred years after the Gospels, after the Gospels. And so authoritative names are added to be counted as authentic. This that this, They tried to do this. They were discarded as false. They were rejected. We have the ability to know authentic, authentic works. Our four Gospels were spread all over the Greco-Roman world. For over a century, these manuscripts made their way all over the place. And so they have the titles that we know them by today. Nothing changed. All of these manuscripts, copied, traveling from place to place, all four of them are what we know of them today. Let's take the book of Hebrews. It's, it's anonymous, right? And it has different titles along the way. From the 2nd to the 11th century, the book of Hebrews has different titles. That's interesting. That's something to look into. Um, Justin Martyr, uh, A.D. 150, in Palestine, early Christians read from the memoirs of the apostles. And when he says memoirs, this equals the Gospels. Early church fathers accredited authorship to the Gospels as we know them today. The list is long. Justin Martyr, Origen, Tertullian, Eusebius, Ignatius, Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus, and the list goes on and on. So something that's important is to know that the non-eyewitness accounts, the Gospels of Mark and Luke, and then we have the eyewitness accounts of Matthew and John who face-to-face -face with Jesus, right? So let's look at Mark. Mark was supervised by Peter, who was what? Face-to-face -face with Jesus. So Mark wrote his gospel given to him by Peter himself. Mark refers to Peter by percentage than any other gospel. There's 16 chapters, 26 times he... Mark refers to Peter. Now, this is in comparison to 28 chapters of Matthew. Peter is mentioned 29 times, but Mark only has 16 chapters. So by percentage, uh, refers to Peter uh, more than any other gospel. Peter refers to Mark in 1 Peter 5.13. So now we have the flip. And Peter, he re in 1 Peter, he refers to Mark. They had the relationship. Preaching summaries in Acts are in the same order, outline, and narrative as they are in the Gospel of Mark. The dependence of Peter is prominent. All right. Um, let me let me say that again. So in the book of Mark, the preaching summaries in Acts which Luke wrote, are in the same order, the same outline as used, and the narrative as they are in the Gospel of Mark. So 
Who's preaching in Acts? Who am I speaking of? We're talking about Peter. So the dependence on Peter was very prominent. And from A.D. 130 to 215, Mark's writings traveled to France, Turkey, Africa, and Rome. And if you're not good at geography, look that up. It traveled far. It traveled far. So now, now let's look at Luke. And Luke was a companion of Paul. As stated earlier, the Muratorian fragment in AD 170 says, the third book of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and he himself had not seen the Lord. Yes, that's Luke. Uh, he was able to gather information and begins to tell the story from the birth uh, of John uh, the Baptist. And um, even in, in Luke's right, in the first few chapters, Luke 1, 1 to 4, we see the recipient of the letter, his name. So wouldn't you expect those to know who's sending, which is the author, who's sending of the letter? Yeah, of course, it's Luke. Luke is always mentioned alongside Mark. Uh, Philemon 23, 24, Colossians 4, 10 to 11, Colossians 14, Second uh, Timothy 4, 11. Alongside Mark is Luke. And uh, we know Mark uh, from being with Paul, Mark getting things from Peter, but being with Paul, uh, Luke, companion of Paul, uh, these all make sense. Luke used Mark as a source. Uh, it's like 88% copied from Mark. Luke copying 88% the source from Mark. So it all makes sense. And so from AD 180 to 250, Luke's writings traveled to France, North Africa, and Rome. Those were the non-eyewitness accounts. Now, let's look at the eyewitness accounts. So, the book of Matthew. Papias, in A.D. 130, speaks of Matthew and his writings. This was one... Pay I'm, I'm, I go through the dates fast, but pay attention to the dates. Pay attention. Uh, from A.D. 130 to 215, Matthew's writings traveled from Israel to Turkey to Rome and to uh, Egypt in Africa. In and the book of John, the other, obviously, eyewitness account, the Muratorian fragment also calls John the fourth gospel. Uh, it says, the quote, the fourth gospel is that of John, one of the disciples. So it's even clarifying that not John the Baptist. We know exactly who we're talking about. John, one of the uh, disciples of Christ. And so from A.D. 180 to 340, John's gospel traveled to France, Rome, Turkey, Israel, and North Africa. So ladies and gentlemen, this is not hard. If you do a little research, you will find these facts out. Uh, early church father, A.D. 210, Tertullian, quote, we lay it down as our first position that the evangelical testament has apostles for its authors. Of the apostles, John and Matthew first, instill faith into us, while apostolic men, Luke and Mark, renew it afterwards. Do you see that even in AD 210, he's making a distinction between Matthew and John and Mark and Luke? That's amazing. Everything we have today is, is the same as what they had. 
Like there's no contradictions there. There was a Roman historian in the first and second century. His name was Tacitus. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but it's T-A-C-I-T-U-S, Tacitus, I believe. This man was a Roman historian. Uh, He has a work called Roman Analysis, History of Rome, and it's missing two-thirds of the writings. But this is believed, you know, this is a part of history, Roman history. Folks, we are not missing anything from the New Testament. We are not missing anything from the New Testament. In fact, we have too much. The early church fathers quote the New Testament one million times. So a little bit over probably, but about one million times the church fathers quote the New Testament. They called it scripture. They believed it was scripture. No one coming around today is going to be able to tell you, no, it's not. This is, this is not, this is nothing new that's happening. Okay. So we're going to talk about the variants. We're going to talk about the differences. Um, there's a couple things I want you to know that, um, there, there are differences that are not meaningful. Remember the 400,000 variants. All right. And we got into a little bit of that. I mean, we're talking for every word in the New Testament, there was about two and a half to three variants to that word. And quite honestly, I think it's more. But 99% of those variants are non-issues. 75% of them are spelling differences. So when they say corrupted, you know, a corrupted text, this means any variation or alteration in the text, no matter how minor it is. No matter how minor it is. So when 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 we quote, when you hear about Bart Ehrman quotes, um, there are more variations among our New Testament, that, that there are words in the New Testament. Well, yes, technically correct. Uh, he also says essential Christian beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscripts tradition of the New Testament. What? Bart Ehrman also says essential Christian beliefs are are not affected by textual variants in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. What is he saying? The Bible would look the same just because of all of the 99% or, or the uh, 400,000 variants that he talks about. He's saying, hey, this is a quote, that your your doctrine, your essential Christian beliefs, they would be, no non-issues. And there are non-issues. They're non-meaningful, non-viable variants. We're talking about word order, spelling, uh, something called the movable new. What in the world is a movable new? Well, in ancient Greek grammar, the movable new or in at the end of a word when the next word starts with a vowel. So to to for an example for all of us to understand is when we say a book or and we say a apple no we can't say a apple there's a vowel so we have to say an apple and we don't have to say an book a book a book and an apple hopefully i didn't confuse you so when you hear the movable in or the movable new in greek grammar that's exactly what that is those things are 
um, are not meaningful variants that we need to look at, uh, word order or spelling. Uh, do you know that John, like the name, his name John, is spelled differently in manuscripts? There's different spellings of John in manuscripts. These are the variants. These are the problems that we have to work through. Uh, no, we don't. No, we don't. But we do have 25% um, of these variants are meaningful, but they're not viable. So First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 says, Gentle among you. But there's other manuscripts that say, Horses among you. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So the manuscript that says, So we were horses among you, <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket surgeon. Yes, I said that the way I wanted to. It doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out which one it should be. So meaningful, not viable. You see, I don't want to waste your time. I want to talk about the meaningful and viable variants found. And this is about 1% of that 400,000. So we're talking 4,000 variants. It's like one every six pages in the New Testament. We're talking about duplications, slips of the pen, missing words, a missing letter, a missing line. But again, it's no issue to the doctrine. No issue to the doctrine. Remember, Bart Ehrman said the Bible would look the same. The essential doctrines would be there. Different word orders, uh, manuscripts that were written in different ways. You could read a sentence that says, the John or the Mary or the Jesus. And you know, we wouldn't say that. You can write, John loves Mary, 96 different ways. Yes, that's right or Jesus loves Mary, or, or whomever. Uh, John loves Mary. Jesus loves Mary. You can write that 96 different ways, and it would not change the meaning. But these are variants. These are 96 different ways. Well, that's 96 variants making up of the 400,000, right? And if you add conjunctions, that's even more ways. That that brings it up to 384 ways. And if we replace another word for love, which we could in the Greek, it becomes 500 different ways. So now we're 500 ways, 500 variants of that 400,000. So in just about, I don't know, 20 seconds, I have brought your attention to 500 of the 400,000 variants. Do you see how easy that was? So no, I'm not worried about, nor you should be worried about the 400,000 variants. All right, we're going to stop there. I promise you, I give you my word. Next time I drop an episode, it's going to be all about the variants. All variants. We're going to look at a lot of them. You're going to be sick of them by the time we're done, okay? And if you have any that you're wondering about, send them in. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, let me know. And um, uh, so I, I hope you guys are still enjoying this New Testament route. We're having fun. Uh, as you go out, as you go out, you know what to do. Make disciples. We are servants. We are slaves to Christ our Lord Jesus.